to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. Well, I'm so glad to hear it. So, today's episode that was released was Decorating on a Dime. Uh Uh-huh. Recording it got me really inspired, and I've spent the last couple of weeks redoing Avery's bedroom. So we got that all finished up yesterday. Did you do it on a dime? You know, I did pretty well. Yeah. I did. I uh, already had some paint that I'd gotten to paint the hallway, and so we used what was left from that and painted, and some paint from the bathroom left over. We did like an accent wall in there. Didn't do too bad. Probably the most expensive thing I bought was a piece of art on the wall. Well, that's I think great. It was $50. So. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Art for no. $50. No, it's a big canvas too. So like it was going for like over 150 like on art.com, but I found it on Amazon for like $49. So. Oh, wow. I just kept looking. I was like, I'm going to keep looking until I find a deal because I'm not putting expensive art on a almost 10-year-old yeah. wall. Funny story. So uh, decorating a dime with a little bit of a, it's not working out so well. We have a like an outside steel door by our garage. Well, no, I say steel. It's old and wooden. It has a window and I want to replace it with a steel door. Okay. But I didn't want to take out the whole door jam. Right. The frame. We, yes. Yep. Because we just had siding put on the house and I have a brick house and it's just a ordeal. So I went and just bought a single steel door. It's used, but it's in great condition. I was just going to paint it. It's like a hundred bucks. Great. Bought it. The hinges don't line up. (laughs) (laughs) Who would thought that your hinges are not on the same place on all doors and door jams? Well, I don't know. (laughs) So we have got to like chisel out the door and move the hinges before we can put it on. So we took off the door, tried to put on the new door yesterday. It didn't work. Today, we put the old door back on, and we're like, we'll deal with this later. But it so, will fit once you it chisel will it eventually. out and make it, it work. It did take a little yeah. bit of work, mm-hmm. but it, it'll work. So, and, you know, much cheaper than a brand new door. And these are things that are you learn as you go. Things are more complicated than you thought they'd be. Well, and it was probably about, five o'clock last night. And I was like, Eric, you know, if you were to switch that door really quick, I could get it painted later this week. So he's like, okay. So he does it. He's like, why do you always get me started on these super big projects at the end of the day? I'm like, it wasn't supposed to be a super big project. <laughs> well, yeah, I heard those words really quick, swap. right? <laughs> it's going to be really quick. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. We actually didn't even have a door last night. We just left the door off, and this morning he went and swapped it. So, Oh, gosh. Well, 
it'll happen. Is the old wooden one in bad shape? It's pretty, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it was original to the house. It's pretty like cracked and weathered and it's had a bazillion coats of paint over it. I really think it's a hollow door. Like I think somebody could kick it in really easily, which doesn't make me feel safe. So <laughs> no, definitely not. A steel door is going to be more <laughs> I secure. I would just like a heavier door there. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Anyway, I told the girls last night that my dogs stay in the garage at night. And I'm like, y'all are in charge of guarding the house because we're not a door. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Ellie guarding our house. She spends all of her time on the front porch. So if anybody wants to come up, she'll welcome you in. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> She's your social butterfly. Yeah. She's not turning anybody She's like, away. Hey. <laughs> yeah, she's not turning anybody away. That's true. <laughs> well, let's move on to our good news story this week. This is from a mom in North Carolina. She wrote, you never know when such a small thing can turn someone's day around. It was move-in day for my college sophomore. My daughter had been excited to move into an apartment-style housing It turned out, however, that she was coming into an apartment lived in by others already, as her three roommates had lived in the same space last year as well. No one was around in the common areas, the kitchen, etc., to offer help as to where my daughter could add her things. Halfway through the afternoon, we realized two of her roommates had been in their bedrooms the whole time and didn't even come out to meet my daughter. The day had been disappointing. My daughter was feeling apprehensive about the situation, and it all made my heart hurt. As we were finishing up, we realized that we had not gotten any shower curtain rings for her bathroom, so we headed out to Target. The whole bathroom section, however, looked like a toy store the morning after Christmas. Determined that I was not leaving my daughter without a functional shower, I told the cashier that we were not familiar with the area and asked if there was another store nearby that we could look for some shower hooks. She offered to go in the back to see if any were in the stockroom. When she came out with a pack and excitedly told us that this was the exact one she had and that it worked really well, I could have hugged her. It was such a little thing, and she did not have to make that effort, but it changed our mood that we had a triumph that day. A week later, there is a happy ending to the story as well. My daughter says that her roommates all talk to her, and they all get along great. Luckily, first impressions weren't lasting. So that's that's great. It is so hard to go into a situation. I can only imagine as a sophomore and the other three were roommates last year. Uh-huh. And you feel Here like you the, are and the yeah. fourth wheel. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And they already have their dynamic. So I'm glad uh-huh. that it's working out and that they're all friends. That was great that that cashier took that time because, you know, you could be like tired and don't want to fool with it, but making that extra effort. Mm-hmm. I love somebody that will just give a little extra effort. I mean, listen, I like... My favorite thing to do in the ER is to hand out warm blankets. <laughs> like, I don't even care if they're family members. I see them huddled up with a jacket. And I'm always like, can I get you a warm blanket? And it's such an easy little thing that I can do that just helps people. And it makes me feel good. Yeah, it really, it is. Those little things that make a big difference. Because if you're freezing and you're in the, the hospital and you're scared, you want to mm-hmm. just be warm. Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. 
So before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to mention all of the amazing companies that are featured at jenstevens.com slash cleanish. As you probably know, the subtitle of cleanish is eat mostly clean, live mainly clean, and unlock your body's natural ability to self-clean. You know, I'm pretty good at self-cleaning because of intermittent fasting, but I had to work on the other areas of my life. When it comes to eating mainly clean, I rely on meals from Green Chef, window openers from Daily Harvest. Also, their smoothies are great for closing my window, and also clean wines from Dry Farm Wines. I also needed to make a lot of changes in the products that I was using on my body and what I used to clean my house. That's where Beauty Counter came in for my makeup, skincare, shampoo, and conditioner. And Branch Basics is for my household cleaning needs. I got to get some more of that concentrate, Sherry. I notice I'm getting a little low. I have mine on auto ship. Oh, do you? I need to get mine on auto ship too. That's Mm -hmm. what I should do. That and the... uh oxygen booster or whatever yeah, it's called that put in yeah. with your laundry yep, yep. i gotta do something will's work shirts they're white and he washed them today and didn't get real clean so we got to oxygen boost them because they got some stains on there i'm like next time he was running out the door to go so i was like next time give those to me please <laughs> yeah well eric's work shirts are those dry fit shirts yeah and anybody who handles dry fit you know it starts to get kind of a funky odor Right. It doesn't like release it. I don't know what it is about that fabric, but he insists on using gain to wash his laundry. But when I start to notice that they're a little funky, I go ahead and run a load of his clothes with my detergent. (laughs) Did he grow up with that? Well, because see, my stepmother used gain and they all, my sister, my brothers, they all have this close connection to that scent of like, home maybe and love and to me it's like headache and allergies yes (laughs) you know I don't have that because it's not a good I don't like it yeah I don't like it at all well go to jenstevens.com slash cleanish for links to purchase cleanish itself if you haven't read that yet as well as the links for special offers to all of my favorite clean companies such as clean green chef daily harvest dry farm wines beauty counter and branch basics And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about processing grief to heal your heart. We are joined by Sharon Brubaker. After suffering a devastating loss, Sharon made it her life mission to learn about grief and to help others learn how to process their grief and heal from the event that caused it. Many times, people think grief only happens when we lose somebody we love. But grief is an emotion that we experience all through our lives during difficult, sad, and even happy times. Yep, you heard me right. Even a happy event in your life can trigger grief. If you don't know how to recognize it and how to process it, it can really have a negative impact on your life in many ways. So Sharon joins us to share what she has learned, and she has tips to help you heal from grief. So welcome, Sharon. We are so glad to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I can't wait to hear about more about grief because I didn't, I was just like, what? A happy event can cause grief? We'll get into that in a little while because I didn't know that at all. So before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with listeners today? Just the big picture lesson. That everybody's going to grieve at some point in their life. That's true. Everybody. And if we live long enough, we will have multiple grieving experiences But the big thing I think I want to share is that grief isn't just death. Grief is death. It's breakup of a romantic relationship. It's being bullied at school. It's leaving all your friends and family behind after a move. It's a divorce. 
it's the grief that your kids go through when seeing that divorce, right? So there are multiple experiences through our lives that cause a grieving experience in our heart. And so I think my mission is to put out that grief isn't just death. Uh, Yeah, that's important because I actually, you hear grief and you think death, grief, death, but yeah. I think a big one people don't think about too is loss of a job. Loss of a job, yeah. Because not only are you, I mean, you've lost your job, that's a loss. You know, they say you lose your job, that's a loss, but people lose their identity a lot when they lose a job. Absolutely. Or even when they retire, you know, that's a happy moment that I guess that could cause grief because you're retiring, you're happy you're doing that. But then again, you're, you're changing your identity and you're losing so much. You know, I'm a retired teacher, Sharon. I taught elementary school for 28 years and I retired in 2018. And every beginning of the new school year, I grieve a little bit because I'm not going back. So now I'm using the word already in a new way. <laughs> Yeah. I bet you never thought of that before, though, really. No, although I do have the, you know, back to school year dreams. I had one the other night and I was like, I'm back. And then I'm like, no, I have to leave. I can't do this. So (laughs) mixed emotions. Well, it's really, really great to have you here today. So what led you down this path, Sharon? So in 2006, I was a real estate agent. I was sitting in a realtor's open house and my entire family had gone on a trip at the lake for Father's Day weekend. And my 17-year-old daughter called me screaming into the phone that she had lost my 10-year-old nephew, Austin. And three hours after that initial call, we found out that Austin had drowned right there by the lake, right by the boat where they were standing. He died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And Austin's mother, Erica, and I are 10 years apart. And as I was walking up the stairs to tell her that Austin had drowned and that we found him, I realized I'd never really used the word grief. And more important than that, I realized that nobody had ever told me how to grieve or taught me how to grieve. And so I set on this mission to heal my sister is really how it started. Right. Like, how, how can I help her? What can I do to help her? And your daughter, too, I bet, right? Because your daughter 100%. was there and she probably, it couldn't have been helped, but she probably felt responsible. And I made so many mistakes because I didn't know what to do. So one of right. the things was I didn't want my daughter to feel pain. It was naive, but I, I don't want my kids to go through this pain. So I wouldn't cry in front of them. I wouldn't share my grief with them. I would hide uh, into the shower. I would bawl and cry in the shower and then come out, pretend like everything was okay. My sister was a social worker. And I, I said to her, where do you send your people when they need help? She just looked at me blank stare and said, we don't, we don't send anyone anywhere. And then I started to do the research and realized there are grief support groups, which are amazing, but you can go to those grief support groups for 10, 20, 15 years. We've met people that have been in these groups, but people weren't living again. They were staying right. stuck in their grief. And that was what surprised me. You know, it's really so true when you said we don't teach people how to grieve. There's not a class in high school where they say, hey, you're going to suffer grief in your life and this is how you handle it, this is how you process it. That class doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, my first memory probably of loss was in third grade and a classmate died. You know, they sat us down and talked to us about it, told us what happened. And I think that was the end of that. And as a kid, you don't think too much about it, right? And then as you get a little bit older, you know, you start to lose great grandparents 
and you think they're in their 90s. My great grandpa was like 99 when he died. And I thought, you know, he had a great life. And I don't feel like I really grieved his loss because I felt like he had this wonderful full life. And that was that. But then I lost my brother when I was 37. That was the first time that I like felt grief. The crazy part about it is, and I think you're probably going to kind of understand this. I didn't feel like I had a right to grieve because he was my brother. He wasn't my son. He wasn't my spouse. So I was the strong, supportive daughter. It wasn't till later that I realized, like, that's crazy. Like, he was my first best friend. Right. Why didn't I deserve to grieve? I've never heard anyone else say that. And did you feel that way too, Sharon? I felt 100% that way with Austin. Like it was your sister's child. You didn't have the right to grieve. It was her grief, but it was yours too. And so what I did was I stuffed it down. And I know that now it was me comparing my loss to hers. Now I know what I did, but oh, thank you so much because I've never heard anyone else say that but me. And this is, he died 16 years ago. I actually listened to you, I guess, short little podcast you did. It was maybe 15 minutes. I can't remember what it was. And I was listening to you tell the story. And something about the way you told it just hit home. And I was like, I bet she felt like she couldn't grieve because she had to be the person that was like handling everybody else's grief. Right. And that just really hit home to me because that's how I felt. So I did eventually grieve him, but it took a very long time. So hear me out on this. Erica and I are 10 years apart. So I was 10 when she was born. I was the, hey, go get her diaper. Hey, change her diaper. Hey, do this. There was a point when I was 14 years old where Erica would rather be with me than my mom. She was only four. And I'd be going out with friends and my mom would be holding her back because she'd be screaming. So there's a part, we both say we have a mother-daughter relationship. So- she had Austin. She, I was at the hospital. I was helping her breastfeed and showing her all the things she needed to do. And then he dies. It would be natural that I would show her how to grieve. And so I put my own grief on the back burner because I didn't think I had the right. I didn't think I was afforded the right. But the truth was she was grieving her son, someone she had a relationship with from the day she conceived him. I 100% was grieving my nephew. And I had every right to grieve him because I had been in my life since the day he was born. And so, yeah, but I've never heard anyone share that. Thank you so much. Well, I'm sure someone else listening right now just had an epiphany with that or will apply it in the future, unfortunately, as they go through a, a grieving situation, they'll realize they don't have to just be strong and shoulder it because it's not their, you know, child or parent or whatever. They have the right to grieve too. That's powerful. So- I know why I think grieving appropriately is important. What have you found? Why do you think it's important for a person to go through the grief process? Because if we don't, we get stuck there. So, and this just came to me. So let's say we come upon a grieving experience. We come to a Y in the road. We can go left or we can go right. If we go left, I'm just going to get stuck there. I'm going to be sad. It's going to affect every other aspect of my life. I'm not going to possibly make right decisions. Every time I get triggered, I'm going to go down that grieving road all over again. 
or I can go right, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. I'm going to do the much needed work. I'm going to complete my relationship with Austin. I'm going to complete the journey he and I started together. And I now can look at pictures of him. Joy is filled in my heart. I talk about him. I share about him. It's such a different road and a different path that I took. For me, not processing my grief and just like buckling down within three months of my brother dying, I lost my job when he was sick because I kept going to be with him and that cost me my job. So then I ended up having to move out of state to find a new good job. And so within three months, I lost my brother, lost my job, lost my home, moved out of state, started a new job. It was a pretty stressful, intense job in a new state where I know nobody, right? And it wasn't until I'd been there probably about five or six months that I started having chest pain. And what ended up being, they diagnosed me with esophageal spasms. It's caused from stress. And I'm like, what? I'm not stressed. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was really stressed. But I just kept not dealing with it. And it really came down to... I hadn't processed my brother's death. I just kept moving. I was just going through the motions, surviving. You know what I mean? It wasn't till I like really sat down and was like, I have to grieve John. Mm-hmm. Like I have to make peace with this. That all that stopped, the physical manifestations of grief stopped. Yeah. So one of the misinformation that we are often told is to just give it time. Girl, You just give it time. You're going to feel better. I promise this will go away in time. And the truth is, when we just give it time, the intensity of the grief may drop down, but the grief doesn't go anywhere. It stays there. And every time we meet someone named John, or we see something out of the corner of our eye that looks like John, or someone tells that joke that's like John. Or it's a birthday. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then the next thing you know, we're right back into that spinning grieving experience all over again. So your blog is called Healing Starts with the Heart. Mm -hmm. And explain that. What does that mean, healing starts with the heart? Grief is an emotional experience that takes place in our heart. It is not an intellectual experience that takes place in our brain. Intellectually, our brain is going to try to get us away from grief because it perceives grief as danger. My heart starts to hurt. My heart starts sending this message to my brain. This hurts. You got to go do something about it. Help me get out of this. And so the brain is going to figure out every way it can to get you out of that pain. But the truth is, grief is an emotional experience that takes place in our heart. It is the reason that grief is not in the DSM-5, which is the list of all the medical ailments that we could have in our life, right? Every single ailment, they have a list of it. Grief is not on there. Because grief is an emotional experience that's taking place in our heart. So we have to start healing the heart first. That makes sense. Did you know there's actually a broken heart syndrome? Yes. Yes. It's a real manifestation of grief. And it feels like a heart attack. It feels Mm -hmm. like an absolute heart attack. It will present like a heart attack, but on every test, it shows negative. So I had a client a few years back and literally was brought into my office by another friend of hers, like literally was almost carrying her. She'd been in the hospital for three days and they diagnosed her with a broken heart. And after I sat and talked with her, she had the most amazing story and she's been on my podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and share it. 
about 30 years prior, she gave birth to Siamese twins. You know, back then, people, they didn't know what to do with certain situations like that. And so they took the babies away from her. She never got to see them. Oh, oh And lifelong grief that added to that experience, she just held on to that moment. And it just got to the point. It's like if I gave you a cup and I just kept adding water to that cup, eventually that cup's going to overflow. And the grief just started flowing out of everywhere. But when we did all the research and went back and went back to that moment, and it was that one thing, I never got a chance to see them. They died at birth, but, you know, she just has held on to that all those years, a broken heart. So how do you start to heal a broken heart? So the first thing is admitting that it's grief, right? If I come to you and I say, my brother died and I need help, you're like, yeah, I know that. I've had that experience. I know what that feels like. I remember what happened to me. But what if it's being bullied or the divorce or the things that we don't call grief, right? The first step, I think, is really admitting that you're having a grieving experience. The second thing is going to look for the help. So the first place that we start is we start at the definition of grief. What is grief? Grief is an emotional experience that takes place in your heart. Then the very next thing I do is I start showing people how to grieve and telling them how to do it, how to do the grief. It's okay to cry. You may not cry at all. You can go sit in your room. And just think about them. You may want to journal. I just literally telling people that it's okay to cry. You wouldn't believe that people were like, yeah, I know it's okay to cry. But when I say it's okay, you can cry, man, they just let go. Because some people don't think they should even be afforded the, the ability to cry. So we start there. We start at the beginning. But the biggest thing that we do is we review our relationship with everyone that we're having the grief with. So for me, it was really important to look at my relationship with Austin. Everything that I loved about him, everything about him that drove me crazy, everything about him that made him quirky, everything about him that I missed about him, all of the things that I needed to tell him that I never got a chance to say. And one being, thank you. Thank you, little boy, for being on my journey. Thank you for picking me. Thank you for picking me to be your aunt. Like literally all of those things that I still needed to say. And what we did is we do some work on that much needed work to complete your relationship with your loved one or your person. I like to say your person. And we just did a review of the relationship. And through that, it helps you find peace or closure. Is that, is that the right word? We call it completion because closure to me would make me so mad. When people would say, when you get closure, I felt like I was going to have to close the door and forget that he ever existed. So we say completion. We complete our relationship. Austin and I walked a journey. We were on the same journey on this earth together. And I'm just speaking spiritually, not any other way. So spiritually, we were, our souls were connected. But at 10 years old, he was taken from me too soon. And there were still things that I needed to say to him and tell him. There was one time where I had um, Austin in my car and we were at the bank and he wouldn't get out of the car. He was seven years old and he, he was like, I'm sleepy. So I was, <laughs> left the car running and, you know, put a little crack in the window and I ran into the bank. The bank president happened to come in at the same time and opened the door to the bank and yelled that someone had left their child in the car. 
Oh. Who left their child in the car? And so, of course, I was mortified. I go running out of the bank and I get jump in the car and we drive off. I finish my business. I called Erica and I was like, your son almost got me arrested. She and I laughed, <laughs> laughed. That was an experience that just Austin and I had had together. Another experience with Austin is that he truly thought my husband and would tell everyone this was the richest man in the world. <laughs> I'm here to tell you guys that my husband is not the richest man in the world, but he had everything that Austin loved. My husband had horses. My husband drove a dually. He had tractors. Everything. My husband was a stuntman in the motion picture industry and drove oh. fast cars. He was in Fast and Furious. Everything Austin loved was about my husband. So whenever he saw my husband, he was with him. I needed to thank him for that, the joy that he mm -hmm. brought Tony and I just from being with us. And there was just all of these things that I needed to say. And so it was a much needed review of my relationship with him. But that's my relationship with Austin. Let's say it was an older person that passed, like, you know, someone's husband. There may have been a lot of fights that never got settled in that relationship. There may have been money issues that never got settled. Maybe there was an affair that took place. Maybe the marriage was absolutely beautiful and perfect and the person totally respected you and was your best friend and you lost your person. There's still things to say, so much to say in any relationship. So it's saying those things that were unsaid at the time of the event and writing them down. Do, do you say them out loud? How do you do it? So we teach it has to be done in a particular way. And the way that we mostly do it is in the form of a letter, but it has to be done in a specific and particular way. But it can't be done until the review of the relationship has taken place. So we teach an educational program on grief and loss. So what we do is we start at the definition of grief, and then we take a deep dive into the relationship, and we help you walk through what that relationship looked like. And the truth is, if I were to sit here and tell you that, I'm going to share Austin because he, he was who we we're talking about, that Austin was perfect and that everything he did was perfect. That wouldn't be true. The truth is, you know, he didn't clean his room. And the truth is, sometimes he didn't do his chores, even at 10 years old. And the truth is, you know, he wasn't perfect. If we don't do our work, sometimes what happens is we run the risk of enshrining the person and making them out to be this perfect person. And that becomes a harder place to heal from. I think too, so when a person dies, you have all of these things like maybe reg regret and then things you didn't say that you wish you would have said. Or things you did say that you wish you hadn't said. And then there's like a lot of what ifs, like, well, what if I'd done this or what if I'd said this, or maybe I shouldn't have done this, or maybe I should have gone there that last time or whatever. You know, you have all of these things and those are roadblocks like until you can like get rid of those roadblocks, then you can't ever really find peace, I don't think. So how I say it is everything you wish was better, different, or more. All the things I wish I had said, but I never got a chance to say. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said it as regret because a lot of times people call it guilt. Well, I had all this guilt. Most times if we really look at it, the definition of guilt is with intent to deceive or do harm. And so I say, well, did you intend to deceive him or harm him? Well, no, it was my child. I loved him. Then you probably have a lot of regret. Most relationships, there's always this regret. 
left over. Yeah, that's a powerful word. I think that's a much better description of what what Sherry was talking about. It does sound more like regret. Yeah. 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 That's a good word. So talk about happy events that lead to grief. I know I, I hinted at it with my retirement. Was that on the right track? Yes, it's exactly on the right track. What about becoming an empty nester? Oh, yeah. My child goes off to college. It's my last one. I'm so excited. I take her, I fill up her dorm room, and I come back home, and I'm like, it's empty here. Right, this right. Is sad. My husband and I just moved to Texas. We were in California for most of our married life. We left a lot of family and friends behind there. We missed things. We, we left our church family there. It's happy to be here. We're here in Texas. Our daughter just gave birth to twins. It's amazing. But we left a lot behind. That's a grieving experience. So there's a lot of, we were talking about this earlier. You said leaving a job, but I just met with this beautiful woman and she just sold her business mm-hmm. that she built all of these years. And she is finding this emptiness inside. She's like, it's not what it used to be for me. So yes, there's a lot of happy events can turn into a grieving event. I can see wedding, getting married as being one of those because you are moving into this new lifestyle with another person, but I can see grieving your independence and, and, you know, being able to go out with your girlfriends whenever you want, not having to check in with your husband. And all of a sudden life is different, maybe not bad different, but just different. And I can see that would be a grieving experience. Absolutely. That was a perfect example as well as the parents, right? Now my daughter's gotten married and she's no longer here. So yeah, it's a grieving experience on many levels. What about when mixed families get together? He was already married. She was already married. We have children. Putting that together can be a total grieving experience. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's a lot of happy events. Talk about well-meaning family and friends. How do you manage that? I go the other way. No, just kidding. stop sign. (laughs) Don't help me. First of all, because we haven't been taught how to grieve, I'm just going to say it. We say the stupidest things to grievers. I just don't know why. Why do we do that? I don't know. Because we want to say something. We want to. (laughs) We want to help. We want to say something. We want them to know that we care. And we have no idea what to say. So we say what we've heard other people say or what we think we should say. And it's wrong. Or it might have been right for somebody, but wrong for this person sometimes even. So we'll say things like this. Oh, honey, you just give it time, which I shared earlier. We will say, don't feel bad, which I had a client tell me once. I feel like that we hear that at church all the time. It's like, don't feel bad. God would never give you more than you can handle. Really? Because he didn't need to give me this. You know, so we add that on, right? Okay, now you don't want to do this in front of your kids. So you need to grieve alone. Sometimes we tell ourselves that, be strong. You guys, if I had a dollar, you ladies, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me to be strong for Erica, or they were proud of me for how strong I was for her, I would be a millionaire right now. Like literally coming up to me saying, thank God she has you. You're so strong. And so I kept acting out in that role. Keep busy. You know, my friend lost her son in a car accident and her daughter was in the car too and also injured, but she would have people say, well, at least you still have. At least you still have one. You still have one, you know, uh, like yeah. that doesn't make it better. No. Um, 
I would want to punch him in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least like, I didn't punch right? you in the face twice. I mean, I no, mean, if somebody lost a leg, would you walk up to them and say, well, at least you still have one? No. Somebody might. Please don't <laughs> well, do you that. Know, the people. other thing is I don't think we hear ourselves say the things when we're saying the things. So I mean, maybe you could say, I am so glad your daughter survived. That yeah. might be what they were trying to say. Because it's okay to be glad that your daughter survived or, or tell your friend, I'm so glad your daughter survived, but not be lucky, you know. And, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Erica was 33 when Austin died. And she, I was being told, be strong, and you're so strong for her. And she was being told, you can have another child. Oh. No. Why don't you get pregnant <laughs> again? And she said to me, it was a few weeks after he had died, she said, I actually considered it for a second. She's like, I was actually considering it. She said, but you know what, Sharon? I could have a million children, but not you can't one replace of them would be them. Austin. No, exactly. You can't replace the no, loss. you can never replace a loss. And that is something we actually tell people, right? So your dog dies. Oh, honey, mom will take you out. We'll get a new dog on Saturday. Instead of allowing our child to experience the loss of that dog and talking that about that, right. most children, their first experience is going to be a loss of a pet. And so we want to go there with them and have them experience that to a, a deep level before we decide to go out and replace the dog. I think people, what they see is, oh, there's a loss, there's a hole, right? So fill that hole. Fill that hole so that grief can't reside there. It was just like with me, with my children, my daughters were 17 and 19. I didn't want them to feel the pain of Austin. And so I did everything that I could to distract them and keep them busy. Kept them busy. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My 17 year old daughter was dying on the vine and I wasn't even recognizing it. But remember I said, I made a lot of mistakes. So I've tried to learn that, fix that. Well, if you were going through it today, knowing what you know now, what are some of the things that you would do differently? If you could go back in time and talk to your yourself and say, do, do it this way, what would you tell yourself? I would say to Erica, I have no idea what this feels like for you. And I'm so, so broken with you. I would just sit with her in silence. I wouldn't try to fill the silence with language to try to fix her. I wouldn't try to fix her. I would cry in front of my children. I would cry a lot in front of my children and allow them to cry with me. And I would talk about Austin a lot and what memories I had of him and how great it felt to have him in the room. And I would have Austin parties where I'd invite the whole family over and we could all talk about him and share about him. And I would do a lot of hugging and a lot of loving up on everyone. And I would allow them the space, the space to say whatever they wanted to say, even the ugly. Even if someone said, Austin really got on my nerves all the time, I would allow them that space because we need to have that space to say whatever we need to say whenever we need to say it. Yeah, I like that. And you said you had an Austin parties. My husband, bless his heart, he doesn't know what to do when I'm sad. He didn't know my brother, never met him. He wants to fix it when I'm in pain, but it comes across as like, almost anger. So it's the anniversary of my brother's death. I'm a little weepy that day. And he's like, I don't know why you get so upset. You can't do anything about it. Blah, 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 blah. And then I get mad and I'm like, don't tell me I can't grieve my brother's death. Right. Well, one year he said, you know what, rather than just sit around and cry about John this year, let's have a whole day of John. 
And I made his favorite foods. We watched his favorite movie. The whole day was all about John. And I have to say, that day probably was the most healing for me. So my husband had no idea what he was doing. (laughs) He got it right, Eric. Go, Eric. Somehow he did it right. Yeah. That was exactly what you needed. Yeah. And I bet he felt like he knew John more after that day. Oh, probably, yeah. Because you shared John with Eric, and that probably also felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. So my brother, for whatever reason, loved the smell of skunks. And I, <laughs> I told my husband that a long time ago. And so occasionally like, we'll smell a skunk, and he'll be like, oh, your brother's here. He's he's saying hi. So. <laughs> That's a new one. I've never heard that before. <laughs> My brother was very that. unique. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and that's exactly when I'm saying an Austin party, that's exactly what I'm saying. So he loved hot wings and Chef Boyardee in the can. Yeah. <laughs> he loved anything fast, any fast cars, and he loved wheels and motorcycles. And yeah, so we'd have these Austin parties. So yeah, for sure. I love that. This takes me back. There's a member in our community who lost her, I think it's her nephew, around 4th of July last year at a pool party. I think he was electrocuted. I might be telling the story wrong. Anyways, it was very devastating for their family. But this year, they were going to have her kid's birthday party, but it's right around the time of her nephew's death. And she was trying to figure out how to proceed with having a party without it being like disrespectful, you know? And like, this is real. People like don't know how to navigate this in their families and in their life. And, you know, I suggested like having the party and having it, but also incorporating her nephew into the party. Yeah. And people were really shocked by that suggestion because they were like, well, we don't want it to be sad on our kid's birthday. But my thought is your kids know it's the anniversary of their cousin's death, right? So like make him part of the family celebration because he was part of the family. And if he was alive, he would be there. Absolutely. Was that bad advice? That was perfect. That was absolutely perfect. (laughs) It's called grieving and living. Right. We don't just grieve and it ends today, right? Austin didn't just die and I grieved for six months and then it was over and I forget about him. And we pretend it never happened or and he didn't exist. we pretend it never happened. That's not the way he to heal. He wouldn't have wanted you guys to never have a party again and have right. joy no. in your life. No. When my daughter got married, my father died in November. My daughter got married in February. And my daughter got my husband a hat that said Father of the Bride. My husband wears a hat every day. And so she got him a hat that says Father of the Bride. My dad was sitting next to her when she decided that. And he goes, I want a hat. And when she had the hats made, Father of the Bride, Grandfather of the Bride. And on the day of her wedding, my dad wasn't there. And so she had my nephew, Donovan. He walked the hat down the aisle with him. He just had it with him and with his girl. She set the hat right where my dad would have sat. It was understated. We didn't make a big deal of it. The photographer took a picture of it. She'll forever have that photo. But he, my dad was there in spirit because of that. I love that. She set the place. So sometimes what I see grievers do is they want to make the memorial for the loved one too big, like on the day of the wedding. You know, we want a big eight by 
20 photo life-size photo that's that's how you it should be understated that they're there everyone that he or she was important to will know what that meaning is and you get to share it with other people you know at the cake table you might have a picture of your grandpa and grandma that passed away or you might have your mother's favorite scarf on the cake table you might do little understated things but there's no reason that it should take up the whole event it is not uncommon for us to get together at a family event and the conversation turn to Austin. Right. Don't be uncomfortable bringing up someone who's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of families who have a chair like at um, family gatherings and grandma passed away and they keep her chair empty. Yeah. Just to honor grandma. Or set the place. Uh-huh. The chair and they set the place. I worked with a lady last year, a couple of years ago, her son was in his 50s and he passed away and he put ketchup on everything. And when her kids came to Thanksgiving, she had the biggest jar of ketchup she could find sitting right in the middle of the table. Oh, I love that. they all loved it. They all just loved it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your website and these classes you offer, how they work. Are they online? People can do them virtually or... So it's all Zoom. It's Erica and myself. Erica is also, uh, she's the head coach for me. I needed to share one more thing that I haven't shared. And I don't want this to take away too much, but 10 years after Austin died, Erica lost her 21-year-old son, Donovan. Oh, no. And that grief was so different. And again, I was having to tell her. And because of that experience, we created a program called Processing the Pain of Grief, which is what I shared with you earlier. And that came out by Donovan dying because one of the things that Erica showed, she was absolutely resistant to healing. She did not want to hear it. She felt she gave one already and she was mad, mad at everybody, mad at the world, mad at Donovan. And we did some much needed work on that. And through that, we created a second program called Processing the Pain of Grief. And that's for the new griever, the brand new griever who doesn't know how to get out of this spin that they're in. So it's called Processing the Pain of Grief. So we do that online. It's Erica and myself. And then we have a second program that's four weeks. We have a second program called Grief Healing with Sharon Brubaker. And it is just everything that we've been talking about here. How to do this, how to review the relationship, how to go there. What are the things I should say? How do I talk to a griever? How do I let other people know I'm in pain and I really need help? So we talk through all of that. And both programs are amazing and beautiful. So if somebody is just stuck in a grief loop, and they can't get down that path of healing, which class is appropriate for them? So I would interview them and see which one is appropriate. Now, there's a lot of times that the process in the pain of grief I made for the brand new griever, but there's sometimes that when people are a little apprehensive about starting, I'll start them there because it's a little bit of a softer start and you get to do more talking. Grievers need to talk. They are dying to talk and share their story, yet most times when they bring up their loss, you know, they get, oh, yeah, hey, girl, did you, but did you see the Dodger game? You know, the subject gets changed or we don't have a people don't know to what to say. They just change the subject. Right. Yeah. And I want to tell people, too, if somebody's I like, listen, I just cried today talking about my brother. Saturday will be 12 years since he passed. I'm always going to cry when I talk about my brother. Right. Yeah. It doesn't even really mean I'm sad. Yeah. It's just emotion. Yeah. Yes. 
It's the sign of the love coming down the front of your face. Just because you ask somebody about their loved one who has died or whatever, and they get weepy like me. I mean, I'm just a crier. Um, <laughs> but don't think like, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have asked her that. Right. I mean, I think ask them, are you OK talking about this? Do you want to talk about this or would you like to change the subject? But just because somebody gets weepy like me, I mean, I people will ask me, I wear my brother's thumbprint. My patients will say, oh, what's that? I have one of those who was close to you or whatever. And I'll cry in front of my patients talking about my brother. It's fine. It's 100% fine. I love to talk and share about him. I teach that tears aren't necessarily a sign of grief because you could be in the grocery store and you walk past that can of Chef Boyardee and you totally start thinking of Austin. And your heart totally goes there and you're broken, but no tears fall down your face. But you're walking through the grocery store just sad and broken, but you didn't cry at all. Yet other times someone could just ask you and you break out in a cry. And that's the reason that a lot of people don't want to ask us how we're doing because they're afraid we're going to cry. Oh, I can't make uh-huh. her cry. Well, because then they feel bad, right? Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Little did they know I've been crying for two hours before I came here, you know? Right. And I say this, do ask the griever, ask them how they're doing with their grief, because days and weeks and months will go by and nobody will ask them. You know, after the service happens and then you do the repass, I have it almost down to a science. I say three weeks, pretty much everybody kind of goes away and then you don't hear from them anymore and you're just waiting for people to ask you and it just doesn't happen. Allie told us that my friend who lost her son, she was on our podcast a couple months ago and talked about it. And she said, you know, it's funny because right after it happens, everybody's calling and texting or whatever. And then weeks go by. And when you really need to hear from somebody, the phone calls have stopped. Right. Yeah. You know. But the pain is is there. Yeah. It's every day. Yeah. So how can people find you, Sharon? They can find me at SharonBrewBaker.com. They can find me at Healing Starts with the Heart, and they can find me on any website that they want to search. You know, I'm there. That's de- definitely the best place. And then definitely on Google. You have a podcast? I have a podcast that's Healing Starts with the Heart. We're going to be launching our book here pretty soon called The Healing Place, which is just a pocketbook for the new griever just to say, hey, you're going to make it through. I promise you. Eric and I wrote this book together, and it's to take place of a, a sympathy card. Okay, it's just to put in I love their that. hands. Yes, so I see it. You're you're holding it. The audience can't see it, but it's small. It looks like yeah. just a little. It's a four by six. Mm-hmm. It tells a little bit about our story with Austin, and just say, "Hey, you may not cry, and that's okay, or you may cry, or, and we give you tips on what to say and what not to say, and how to ask for help." That okay. sounds like a really good like resource that. to hand yes. a friend who's going through something. Yeah. Will they be able to find that on Amazon? Yes, on Amazon. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. I was thoroughly moved. I want to thank you both. And thank you for sharing, John, with me. I truly feel honored. And thank you for sharing Austin with us. Thank you. Yes. Before we get to the listener-led lesson this week, I want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. There, you can interact with Jen and I in a private online community. You can also connect with other listeners and community members. Each month, I host a monthly video hangout where we just connect and talk. It's a lot of fun. 
if you would like to learn more about this, go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. There you would choose your monthly membership option. We have two different tiers. We chose two different tiers that offer the exact same benefit to the subscriber. We just wanted to really make it affordable for everybody in their situation who wants to help support the podcast. Rather than doing donations or conventional advertising, we chose to go this route because community is important to us. We really want to get a chance to know the members of our community, our listeners. We'd love to get feedback and really just forming friendships with you. So if you'd like to help support the podcast and join the community, go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP, and we will see you there. Well, now it's time for our listener-led lesson, and this one says... I want to recommend the book Made, and that's M-A-I-D, Hard Work, Low Pay, and A Mother's Will to Survive by Stephanie Land. It's the true story of her struggles being a single parent with very little money. She starts to work as a maid cleaning houses when she can't find any other work. It's heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time, and it opened my eyes wider to how difficult it can be to get and keep government assistance. It's a fast read, and I felt a little bit bad that I enjoyed it so much. I didn't like that I found her troubles interesting, but as I read on, I could hear her want and her need to tell her story, so it was okay. There are also discussion questions at the end for anyone wanting to use it for a book club read. I read it for a discussion group at my local library. I haven't heard of that. Have you heard of that book before, Sherry? No, but as I was reading this, I have to wonder, there was a TV show, like maybe Netflix or Hulu original, I think, Yeah, that Jessica Biel was in, and mm-hmm. it was called Made, I believe. So I wonder if it was based off this book. I haven't read the book or watched the show, so I don't know, but that's what I wondered when I was reading this. Well, I think that would be you know, an interesting book to read just to understand someone else's perspective, you know, because we don't, we don't, Mm -hmm. you know, always understand what other people are going through. And this will help us just really, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. I agree. I like that. I like stories about people. Yeah, me too. Well, today's motivational quote comes from a listener who would like to remain anonymous. The quote is spread love wherever you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. And that is from St. Teresa of Calcutta. And she says, I try to make all my brief interactions pleasant. I say something nice to a cashier, hold the door for someone, tell a stranger I like her earrings. Sometimes it stops people in their tracks, and I can tell they got a real little lift from our interaction. It costs me nothing, and it makes my day a little brighter, too. Yeah, I love that. I try to do that as well. I do. You know, it catches people off guard. Right. If you see somebody that steps in an elevator with you and you say, I like your dress or I like your hair, they will almost always look startled when you say something to them. But I think that really just goes to show that we don't interact in a positive manner out in public enough. Yeah, I think it's it's an easy thing to do and be genuine, you know. Right. You can tell when it's a genuine thing, but take a minute, think about it and then make it genuine. And and it will really or just tell someone thank you, you know, for helping you. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you. You you did a great job helping me find that or whatever. A little appreciation. I saw a guy at Lowe's the other day and I recognized him. He helped me one day when I was in there. It was like over the top helpful. And I was in there the other day and I saw him and I was like, you're that guy that helped me one day. I just wanted to let you know I really appreciated that. And I can tell that like, yeah, really like gave him a boost that day. 
Yeah, little things. Well, everybody, that's an easy way. It also brightens up your day, not just theirs. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It will just download automatically and there it'll be. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Spotify that helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.